This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. With the rising price of oil turning into massive profits for oil companies, and it's the same for gas companies as well, of course, is it time to ask those companies to pay a windfall tax to flex the gains they're making? Or is it, as the British Prime Minister has argued, a disincentive for these companies to invest in the future, for example, in renewable energy? But can we really let them enjoy higher profits whilst lower-income earners struggle to heat their homes? A windfall tax, yes or no? That's today with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby, and this is the Debunking Economics Podcast. Well, a big debate that's uh, happening in the UK right now, and I'm sure it's going to happen around the world if it isn't already, is whether energy companies, who are, of course, enjoying record prices, uh, profits, I should say, with the elevated prices, should they be paying a windfall tax? So, for example, BP made $12.8 billion profit last year, $4.1 billion of that in the fourth quarter. Uh, it did make a loss in the first quarter of this year, it's fair to say, but that was because they had to write down their ownership of uh, Rosneft, the uh, Russian oil company. Uh, but the first three months of this year, Shell made $9.1 billion, three times the profit they made the same period last year. So that was an all-time high for them. In Australia, BHP made $9.7 billion profit in the second half of last year, 17% up on the year before, thanks to the rising price of iron ore. So they're making lots of money. Meanwhile, Gladys from Sutton Coalfield and Marge from Footscray, they're struggling to pay their energy bills. So should these companies be taxed for their extraordinary high profits, Steve? And, uh, you know, that money go to those people who are actually struggling to pay the bills? Or is that all a bit of uh, short-termism, do you think? Um, it's a bit like like banks in some ways, in that uh, why, why is a, a, an oil company an oil company? Uh, it's not because it invented the oil. It found the oil. Uh, but by far the major reason why it's profitable is, is something which existed long before humans even existed, let, let alone capitalism. So uh, what you have there is a, is a resource which is a, a, you know, that's the basis of our, our economies. We could not have an economy unless we were exploiting energy. That's period, whatever form the energy takes. And the reason we have the elevated economies we live in is because we're exploiting solar energy stored you know, 100 million years ago um, by, uh, by, by, by fossils, uh, by plants, by animals, and so on. And that's what we're actually exploiting as fossil fuels. So uh, in that sense, uh, the only the, the thing which the oil companies did, uh, I mean, you've got to go back you know, a century and a half for this, is that they located um, the oil reserves and then worked out a way to use them. Um, and of course, they've got an enormous amount of technology they've developed to, to drill it out of all sorts of locations on the planet. But fundamentally, the value comes out of the resource itself far more so than their technology. So there's every reason that they should be, be, be because without them, our society doesn't exist. Um, 
and and without them, um, without them, the oil companies would would not have a business. Well, they they do they do they do pay paying a tax on them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Well, they do they do pay. Well, of course they pay a corporate tax, but also they get they pay extra. I think they so the uh, they pay an elevated amount of uh, of corporate tax. So it's nineteen percent for most companies. Most uh, energy companies are paying thirty thirty percent of their profits. You might say whoopie do, but I think there's also uh, royalty payments and stuff like that that they make. The question is whether whether it's enough normally. But I mean the the point is you know uh, it, when you've got times like this where through no fault or uh, action on their part prices have shot up and you know mm-hmm. the reason they've shot up is because there's a, an excess of uh, of demand because we're coming out the out of covid but more importantly you know we've, we've got a war and that mm-hmm. is limiting the mm-hmm. su- that, that's limiting the supply so they're benefiting from these higher prices which may last a year or two so should we tax it? Should we say, well, okay, you weren't expecting that money. Uh, we think we should have it, not you. Yeah, like what what you've got with, uh, if, you, if, you, if you, I think you have to very carefully distinguish between the fact that they have a license to exploit a resource which uh, which existed long before they turned up, and then they have technology and a distribution systems that are designed to get that resource to the rest of us. It's quite legitimate for them to make a profit on the on the latter, uh, and and you could say, well, what's the average rate? A profit that's what they should be earning but the the, the remainder uh, then there's uh, you know when 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 the price will rise because of because of a war uh, you know they're, they're, they're misery capitalists and uh, and that should not be something that goes to them however there's another side and that is the volatility of energy prices in general so if you try to set something uh, we, on the basis basic idea that they should get the average rate of profit there will be times when that when the rather than the misery uh, capital Capitalists coming along, uh, they're 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 crushed by capitalism. And the, the most recent, not the most recent, but one of the one of the examples I know relatively well is what happened in in America in particular, when the oil price, uh, having risen from twenty dollars a, a barrel to forty back and across uh, seventy nine to eighty two, then fell from forty back to ten again. And what you have is all these oil companies had borrowed dramatically to expand their operations, particularly in Texas. Um, and and uh, you know, everybody's thinking this oil is going to go on forever. And people extrapolated forward that price rise. You know, uh, so 40, 40 bucks back in nineteen eighty two would be uh, not too far distant from what we're paying at the moment, probably uh, in terms of you know the rate of inflation in over a period of time. Yeah, yeah. But but far higher than happened one or two weeks later, and yeah. and the, the banks that had lent to them, a lot of them went bankrupt. Um, so it, it, so this is what Richard Vague explains so well, uh, mm. because he actually lived through that process in a bank. So, um, so, so in, the argument the, would be, yeah. yeah, the argument would be then, wouldn't it? If if, if you're going to you know charge a windfall tax when times are good, then you should be bailing that when times are bad. Well, yeah, yeah, but, but what it's also uh, you look at the role of energy in a modern society, and one thing that you cannot do without in a modern society is is a constant flow of energy. So we have all sorts of problems about this. It's 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 an absolutely fundamental input. Uh, if energy doesn't go in, then nothing comes out. And of course, economic, conventional economic theory is absolutely useless on that because they have no concept whatsoever of the role of energy in production. So uh, the, the last thing you want to do is have this tax being designed by a bunch of economists. 
autonomous uh, neoclassical, so you forget <laughs> which it. Unfo- okay? Which, unfortunately, is what would happen. But, but So yeah. there's been, I mean, it's been a debate in the UK over the last week or so, uh, and, it, you know, it's all, it is all relatively new, this, you know, the, 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 because we the, this uh, hike in, uh, in in oil prices, we really weren't expecting, like a what, lot of what has happened in 2022. I mean, we weren't expecting, <laughs> in, in, we weren't expecting inflation. We weren't expecting an invasion can, can of I, can Ukraine. I in my, can I throw in my, my favourite little line about this decade? Yeah. Okay. We were starting with 2020, of course, and my line there was, it was 2020, uh, the fact that we used to say 2020 vision, was that something caused by a time traveller coming back into the past and trying to warn us? Yeah. But as, the, as people keep on hoping to go back to normal, and my attitude is that the 2020s will be known as the hold my beer decade. Every year is going to be worse than the one before. Oh, gee, God, I hope you're wrong on that. But look, uh, yeah. I mean, Boris Johnson said, you know, that he, he's not a big supporter. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, right-wing politicians are saying... Uh, you know, the argument that they give is that if you uh, play with tax, then you deter investment in the very things that we need to be investing in, which, you know, he sees as new technology uh, for new energy supplies. But I don't know if that argument works. Oh, you're going to trust the oil companies and the coal companies to do that, <laughs> are we? That's, that's fun. Well, I mean, there's the thing. Why wouldn't they be doing it? And, and in fact, you know, if, they, if, they, if they're hit with a, a higher prices and therefore higher profits, you would have thought, I mean, it's very hard to do, of course, to do it in a very short space of time. But wouldn't they actually be trying to plough as much of that money into uh, research so that it's an expense, so they don't have to pay uh, taxes on on the profits? So the windfall tax would actually uh, encourage them to try and reduce their profits, uh, which would mean investing in new technologies, which is you know the opposite of what Boris Johnson thinks it would do. Well, I mean, yeah, we're seeing in Australia, of course, during the election over here, an incredible mm. increase in the number of coal projects and, and and gas projects being approved. And the thing, it then comes down to, would you trust a coal and oil industry executive? I'm afraid I wouldn't. Um, to find an alternative source. To find no, an alternative. No, take, because it, yeah. it, it, and this is, again, in speaking with some people who've worked in the industry at various times, their attitude is there's this, 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 this stuff on the ground. We want to get it out for the best price we can and flog it over time. So the whole idea, A, that it should be regarded as a resource for the whole of humanity, uh, or B, that we should stop using it and leave it in the ground, they, uh, they are not the first or second thoughts that occur, occur to you know, high-ranking coal and oil executives. So uh, in, in, that, in that case, it's like asking the cigarette companies to, to handle research into lung cancer. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't trust them. And yeah. you think if, if you could trust them, then how the hell did they get to the top of the company in the first place? So but, it's, if uh, they, but if they knew the writing was on the wall for them, and, and they probably don't believe that it is, but if they did, then they would be looking at alternatives, wouldn't they? I mean, look, well, I just wonder whether... for that. I mean, it's too yeah. late for that. I mean, uh, and, and again, this is the, the role that the coal and oil companies have played in financing climate change denial. And, mm. uh, of course, you know, I focus mainly on the role of economists to providing the arguments that justify climate change denial. But it's undeniable that the coal industries and the oil and gas have all been, you know, financing groups that push out this uh, denialist literature. So, I, you know, I, 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 there's ne- neither sympathy nor trust coming from me about I, these guys. I wonder whether, I mean, part of the, the reasoning for the windfall tax is, you know, as I said in the introduction, you know, you've got oil companies which are, and oil company executives which are getting richer and richer through all of this, and then you've mm. got, uh, you know, uh, Marge from Footscray, if you're mm. an Australian listener, or Gladys from Sutton Coalfield, if you're in England, uh, and, you know, they are struggling to pay their energy bills. So, so there's this elegant simplicity, isn't it, to say, well, okay, 
uh, let's take that money, that, that profit from the oil companies, and let's give it to those people who are struggling well, that's the, to No, that's, that's where the elegant simplicity becomes too simple, and that is the, where the modern monetary theory argument comes in. Does the tax actually finance the spending at the other end? And the answer mm. is it doesn't, okay? Uh, this, is, this is the point which, you know, sitting through the Australian election campaign fairly actively this time because I'm running for the Senate, uh, it, it's been frustrating watching all the, all the arguments about you should use tax for this and use tax for that. Tax is a way of taking money out of bank accounts. It's not a way of paying for government services. Government services are paid for by government money creation. And right. that totally, is, totally yeah. get that, Stephen. We've spoken about it so many times, and I'm, I know, I'm yeah. com- completely with you on it. But it, just in mm. terms of uh, the, the understanding of the, the layperson, uh, you know, you take money from one person to give it to another. Well, in in than, fact, you'd need to set it up that way. I mean, you'd need, you mm. wouldn't be talking a tax. You're talking a, 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 an inter non government age. Uh, person or entity mm. transfer scheme so there'd be yeah. uh, what so you're not you adjusting it, the money supply in any way you are just it, it, it literally is just a switch yeah you, you, you'd put a, a charge on the on the profits uh, which was then transferred uh, within the banking system so it doesn't actually mm. end up being it's not tax okay so mm. it, it'd be some form of of uh, of, 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 of windfall surcharge and then yeah. when the if you have to design it carefully because you don't want to go in the opposite direction, okay? You don't want to low prices apply managers then paying uh, money to BP. So it has to be something thought out intelligently if you're going to not avoid. You yeah, because there's the danger, isn't it? If it if Madge might be struggling, but there might be somebody else who uh, uh, is a, a high energy user uh, who you subsidise who uh, then doesn't moderate their behaviour. And you obviously want you know you don't want Madge to change her behaviour because she needs to keep warm. Marge, sorry, it's changed from Marge. So let's let's con- yeah, we need a continuity person for this podcast. For a short while there. <laughs> but anyway, whoever it is, this woman in Footscray, uh, we, we, I mean, you know, she needs the energy to keep warm. What we don't want to have happen is somebody who's uh, who's using too much energy uh, to be subsidised to the point where they go, oh well, there's no need for me to change my behaviour because obviously the reason why energy is so expensive is because there is less of it than there is demand. So we we need to get that balance. That means somebody's got to use less of it. Yeah, and, and you don't want to be, as you said, encouraging energy use at all. I think in general, it isn't just a case of not encouraging energy use from fossil fuels. It's not encouraging any use at all because um, just in terms of the aggregate impact we have upon the biosphere, we're using far too much energy uh, yeah. in, in terms of what yeah. we... It but, isn't just but at the bottom end, the bottom damage, end we've, we've, got, we've got people in Britain who are sitting in libraries because they can't afford to keep their houses warm. There was yeah, a story about yeah. a woman who was driving, who's driving around on buses uh, to keep warm. And then Boris Johnson's answer to that was, well, I did introduce that bus pass that made that possible for that woman. <laughs> I mean, there's a man who's just totally out of touch with the whole thing. So you've got to make sure that the money is, got, you know, if you are doing it, the money's got to go the right way. But I mean, I, I wonder whether, uh, and here's another reason why it's going to, I think it's going to happen, is because, of course, what do you reckon? If you've got a company that, uh, you know, isn't, is, is given a slug of money, the thing is you can't, if, if you don't know, if at the beginning of this, this year you really didn't have an idea of just how much oil prices were going to go up, so you really didn't have an idea of just how extraordinary your profits were going to be this year. I mean, you couldn't put it in, invested into, uh, uh, into, in, into anything because you just don't have the time before you reach the end of the year. So what do you think they do with it as an, as an easy well, that, and elegant that's, solution that's, in that's their mind? Basically, to some extent, what the Norwegians do, and, and, and that is they're having a, a sovereign wealth fund. Um, so when the money is paid in, it accumulates. It isn't all, you know, you don't pay it out to match unless you get slower 
uh, uh, lower coal energy prices today, you try to keep those prices constant, and you then, yeah. uh, you know, and then with, with so what goes through to the consumer uh, is not the volatility that comes through uh, in the in the in the wholesale market. Incidentally, that's one reason why wholesale why, why market pricing hasn't been introduced for electricity in Australia, and I know this from working directly with the person who designed this the system because it turned out that the price spikes were the major way that firms made their profits and there were only three days if you weren't operating for three days of the year your your company would be unprofitable uh, because on those particular three days that's when the price wholesale price went through the roof and you made most of your money now they realize that they pass that on to consumers with that volatility that comes out of this artificial market that's been created by by trying to deregulate the, the market uh, rather than having central en energy uh, producers, um, that would mean that somebody would go to bed at night and wake up bankrupt, just because they had the air, they forgot to turn the air conditioning off. And so they they, well, they simply couldn't pass it on to the retail market. They had to keep it constrained in the in the wholesale market. So a similar thing here, you'd want to be setting up such a way that when those price spikes occurred, it went across to a fund, which in, in that case that fund could be accumulating money, which was then used to finance research and development of of non carbon based well, energy. Systems. Yeah, like if you like, a, almost like a future fund for R and D. Yeah. And I mean, because yeah. because we, we could say, yeah, okay, you've got all this money, you, you you won't pay tax on it, put it into this fund, which I mean, could be your fund, could still be the BP uh, or Shell fund. But if you're going to avoid tax, then with all of that money has to be additional research, which is going into into renewables, and you need to. You know, and and then we need to make sure that you're not actually switching money that you're going to spend in renewables into this fund. So we need to ensure uh, that there's a certain proportion of your total R and D expenditure, which must go into into renewables. If you want to be, if you want to take uh, the benefit of this facility, then uh, for all time, a certain proportion of your R and D expenditure needs to go into renewables. Then we'll allow you to spread your tax on this, uh, as you say, it's like a sovereign wealth fund. I mean, that seems like a smart way of operating, doesn't it? I hope so. I mean, it's it, it, you certainly don't want to give this money back. The last thing you want is more R and D and how to get more oil, gas, and coal out of the ground. Yeah, and that was the, that would be the first thought of most of the people working in that industry. That's all they've ever done for their lives. And, mm. and you know, it, again, it's what happens when you get inculcated in the particular culture. It's only if you escape the culture, like you know, Simon Marchow is a classic example there, getting out of the uh, the the uh, energy sector in Australia and now being the world's leading researcher, I'd say, on talking about what the what the implications are of trying to switch from the level of fossil fuel energy we're using now to an equivalent of, uh, of what he calls mineral-based, and this just isn't isn't possible. So you do get your renegades, but one reason why, why Simon's not working in Australia anymore is because he is a renegade. So, <laughs> again, you cannot trust these companies to do the right thing themselves. So you, well, you, yeah. Yeah, so you need to introduce. Yeah, you, they need to be controlled. You need le legislation, but that would be a way, wouldn't it, of saying, "Well, okay, let's soften the blow." If you if you get peaks and troughs, we'll allow you to uh, to manage putting that money aside without uh, without paying without paying tax on it. But do you know what they do do actually? And this is we've seen this in a big way this year. Uh, these companies they've got all this money, they don't know what to do with it. So what do they do? They buy back shares. So yeah, Shell is yeah, planning yeah. six point three billion in share buybacks from Shell this year. BP's planning three point two billion in a year. Mm, so mm. And, and when you think about what that does, so those shares obviously there's less of those shares around. So you you know if you want to buy into those companies, the share price goes up. So the investors are better off. The executives who are on share, you know, have got options are better off. Yep. Gladys from Sutton Coalfield is you know That's still true. spending her days sitting in the library 
uh, because you know the only place you can afford to keep warm, and all these people are better off as a result of a, a situation that they didn't create. So yeah. that can't be allowed, can it? Well, it is allowed, unfortunately, and and that's the trouble is, uh, you know, what we get is the worst politicians money can buy, um, mm. because people who are willing to, to, to suck up to that sort of behaviour are the ones who get uh, funded for elections. I'm seeing, uh, you know, again, sitting in Australia, actually being very poorly funded for the you know, non-mainstream campaign. I'm running for a non-mainstream party, TNL. Uh, you, you watch when, when you see uh, either the Labor Party or the Liberal Party on TV, they're all defending coal mines. It doesn't matter. Both sides. Uh, the mm. one ones are being funded by the coal, the the the, the uh, companies of the Gina Reinhardt's of the world, and uh, the others being being uh, funded to some degree from the coal unions. So you have this dead hand of the past reaching out on both the side of labour and capital, um, saying keep on doing what you're doing. Now we know that's just that that will destroy the civilization on which those profits are based. We simply can't allow it to continue. Um, so yeah. I would be setting up something which involved a, a, a transfer. It would not be a tax. It would be a, 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 a rebate, whatever you'd call it, a transfer, partly which would be intended to, make, to maintain stability of energy prices for the poor because energy is such a major consumption item for people who are poor. You know, the main thing they're doing is paying to keep their house warm. Um, uh, and... And then on the other side, those peaks and troughs would turn up pumping money into a, a fund which accumulated money over time for spending and research and development into alternative energy sources and also for working out ways how we can reduce our energy consumption. So I want to see you know far less cars and far more buses on the road, that sort of thing. Yeah, and it would make sense, wouldn't it, that those companies that are – I mean, if you, if, you, if you get the process right, it makes sense that these companies that have been around for a long time and do understand energy – uh, it would make sense that they're the ones that are, you know, helping to drive this transition. If you get the legislation right, rather than saying, "Oh, well, you're the old school. Let's get the let's get the the, the new kids in," uh, you know, th- these companies have scaled. They've got employees. They've got smart minds. You just need to change the, what their focus is, and 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 they've got shareholders, you know, who are looking for a return. So. The easiest transition would be to use these companies, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was the easiest way to, to <laughs> promote uh, reduction in cigarette consumption too, wouldn't it? Give it to Philip Morris. Um, what, once you've got you know, a, a huge source of profits like that, it, it perverts the mind and very few of them are going to be thinking in a socially uh, expansive system. If you'd done it 50 or 60 years ago, then yes, this would be possible because over that time they would have been rejigged by the social responsibility that came with those those systems. And uh, but internally they're going to try to undermine you all the way through because they you're you're stopping us getting access to the honeypot. Right. Well, you're a politician these days. You must know that you know if you were to say, well, no, we're we're not going, we're going to introduce a whole load of legislation which is basically going to kill your company, so all your shareholders are going to be that much worse off. I mean, that's not a, a politically smart direction, is it? You almost have to use them uh, because it, it, it's a bit like, uh, you know, you, you remember in, in, in Australia when uh, there was talk about splitting up Telstra and there's all this concern about uh, what it was going to mean for Telstra shareholders. It just became politically untenable. Same thing if you start saying to energy companies, well, you, you, you are, uh, we're going to introduce legislation which is going to stop you getting oil and we're not going to provide you any funding for you to... Uh, try and find alternatives then they are you know they are just going to keep on behaving the way they did before or they'll shrink in size and uh, you will be politically unpopular as yeah, a result i yeah. don't know I feel feel like you've got to use them but look there's a crazy idea 
from the uh, somewhat untalented uh, politician Rishi Sunak, who's the uh, the Chancellor in the UK, the Treasurer in the UK, mm. uh, which is to subsidise the energy companies. <laughs> That's exactly okay. the wrong thing to do. So, uh, th- so you know, your energy bill is going to be very large this year. So, rather than saying, "Well, okay, let's give you three hundred quid," they say, "Well, actually, it was uh, two hundred quid." I think it was. Um, we will uh, give that money to the energy companies. So the energy companies can reduce your bill by 200 quid or not, as the case may be, uh, to to everybody. Um, I mean, that's just a crazy approach, isn't it? Because, I mean, because the energy company is going to go, OK, well, that's reduced our costs by 200 quid. But look at what the market price is. It's extraordinarily high. We're going to pass that on to the consumer. Thanks, government, for uh, giving us a bit of money on top of that. But we're not going to change our price any. Well, I've seen a similar thing with you know, schemes over in Australia about uh, um, things like things called JobKeeper and so on, which were given to the mm. companies, not to the employees. And then when it turned out that they had super profits uh, through the through the whole COVID period, uh, that money wasn't returned. So <laughs> you give it to the poor. You don't give it to the rich. And, and this, again, yeah. again, the only way to think about tax, and that's this is why I, I jumped in earlier, is that it's a redistribution mechanism. It's not a way of financing government spending. Um, the government spends using its own money creation power. So, But if you, if you are giving it to the people that you later want to take it back from, it's it, 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 when they're the wealthy, then you've, you're compounding your own initial problem because the reason that a lot of wealth has been accumulated is the wealthy are able to evade paying tax. So when the money is supposed to come out of their, their accounts, it doesn't. Therefore, it builds up there, and they're the beneficiaries of government spending. You want that to be the opposite. You want to be giving the government spending to the poor. So it's crazy to say you give it to the companies rather than to the consumers. Well, do you know, it gets even worse. They're actually also saying that the companies can then uh, get that money back in, in a year's time. So um, <laughs> so the price goes, so the price doesn't move now, but the price goes goes up when those companies say, oh, look, we in effect, uh, we lent you 200 quid. Uh, well, the government did, but we've got to give that money back to the government now. So we're going to charge you that 200 quid on your, on your, on your next bills when supposedly prices have come down. So uh, mm. that just that just you know just from bad to worse. And yeah. It's hard to imagine that this man uh, is uh, in charge of the British economy. Oh but no, it's not. Joe- That's a typical bloody <laughs> treasurer these days. I mean, and, and this is what I mean. With one reason uh, that I think we we have to. Oh, no, we have to. It would be incredibly desirable that uh, we banned private funding of elections completely, and that was funded by mm. government money creation. Uh, and like, you know, in Australia, that if, if uh, you get more than 4% of the primary vote, in whether you're running for the Senate or for a House of Representatives seat, uh, then the, the government currently pays $3 per vote, uh, which means that the Liberal Party and Labor Party, who get something of the order of, you know, say, one-third of the votes of the country, uh, are getting $15 million from that. And that's a sensible thing because you should actually make it 60 or 70 or $100 million for that for that amount. You know, rather than $3 per vote, I make it 15 per vote or something of that scale. because And then say, that's all you can spend. You cannot mm. take a cent from any private source whatsoever. And, and therefore, you cannot be purchased because you know, what we've seen, um, and I've seen it on both sides of politics, is, is just it's money politics and the people providing the money fundamentally in this country are the fossil fuel yeah, yeah. industries. And look what we've got. So, yeah, so get away from private funding. That would be a, uh, but of course, it's not going to happen because you need people to pass the law who are currently being funded by private donations. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, the system's broken, isn't it? What about it um, uh, what what about Joe Biden's approach then? Uh, his answer to uh, you know to to the oil price issue 
is to dip into the oil reserves, 180 million barrels of oil over six months. That's about a million barrels a day. They had about 48 billion barrels in reserve. So actually, they could release a million a day for 130 years if they wanted to, uh, which does beg the the question, why not release more? Um, Would that bring prices down? Is that a smarter idea? Well, that, that's pretty much using a, a commodity buffer, which was a common yeah. untad, the United Nations Commission on Trade and Development, which is the sort of progressive stroke left-wing element of the United Nations. Um, with It's normally with its uh, its head coming from the third world country. They've been pushing that for a long time using buffer stocks. Yeah. And it's actually quite a sensible thing to do when you have a, a, a commodity like oil and like coal, whose... Um, whose demand is very volatile and it also it doesn't run according to the manufacturing rules that apply to other uh, manufactured items so this is where neoclassical theory is completely you'll be amazed to hear that it's completely wrong on this point uh, because mm. they they Can't presume see. that it, you know the, we, any any firm producing more output has to do with diminishing marginal productivity and there is cost rise that's completely false for manufactured goods but there's a truth to it when you apply it to things like oil and gas and so on because um, you've got a, a there's a certain level of, of there's, uh, so land. Of, of, there's, huh? there's only so much land there's only so much land it's land it's also when, when you've got a resource and you've you've geared yourself up for producing at a, a set scale you you uh, you you do face uh, spot market price, price volatility, as mm. we're seeing right now. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening. You don't get spot market price volatility on manufactured goods. And in fact, as you increase the volume of being produced of manufactured goods, you reduce the unit costs because the firm gets closer and closer to its optimal but production don't you, scale. Don't you hit the problem, though, that if, I mean, it's it's good for now. If he, if he you know, and as I say, he could actually go harder, probably, if he really wanted to make a difference, given that they have so many, res- so much in reserve. But then he hits the problem that you've got to get those reserves back up again, which means that you know that he's actually adding to the demand down the track. Which, yeah, but that's so, I mean, with leaving aside the fact that it's something we don't want to use at all. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. The, the the thing is that's that's the whole idea of a buffer stock. You 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 release the buffer stock when the price is high, so you're making a profit in effect. Even if you do help, you're doing it to keep prices down. But you bought that oil at a lower price in the past, and then when the price slumps in the future, then you buy. And therefore, so the whole idea of a buffer stock is to reduce the volatility of those prices. And it makes eminent sense. Uh, but of course, uh, again, the oil companies, strangely enough, argued against this. Mm. Yeah, funny Actually, that. They, they, they make a fortune during those periods of high price spikes, and they didn't want to stop doing it. And then, and then of course, uh, they're not, not quite so vo- vocal when, it, when the price is slumped. Uh, but that's that's the, the huge part of the opposition came from both conventional economists uh, and and the companies themselves. Well, certainly, you know the the reason why uh, Europe and particular you know and Britain included in that has got into this big problem with gas prices is because they basically got rid of all their gas reserves. So all mm. their, uh, and that that was a, a large part of that. And we've talked about this on the podcast recently, I think. And a large part of that was because of the privatization uh, that happened of the uh, of the gas industry. Uh, you know, there's not a great deal of incentive for, for, for a company to say, well, okay, let's try and moderate the prices. Because, you know, if, if, uh, if demand is higher than they can supply, then prices go up. They win. So that's mm, the basis. Mm. on that basis, why would they say, oh, well, let's keep stuff in reserve so that we can moderate that price? No, you know, we want to get the price rise, do our share buybacks, uh, look after our exact packages. Thanks very much. And that's the way they behave. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, uh, you've got... The- You've developed a, a situation 
where the, the, the people you don't want to be controlling an essential resource are controlling it, and, and they've perverted the political process, and it does involve politics to change something like this. So we're stuck with you know, rules being set by people who've been bought by the companies we're trying to control. Yeah. All right. So windfall tax, yes or no? Sounds like yes. Yes, but not a tax. It's a windfall transfer payment, uh, and, and it, it, it goes to build up uh, you know, money for research into alternative energy, um, and you have a buffer stock to, to minimise the price volatility, and you're required if, uh, be, uh, to, you, know, to you, you have to make it possible for people to get essential energy uh, in society. It's uh, that... You know, the, the mad, we, we can't forget Madge and all this, as at mm. some stage we all may all be living at the level of Madge. Yeah, well, that's... Or is it Madge? Well, well, both. Um, yeah, we're, we're playing to multiple audiences in this podcast, Steve. We, <laughs> we don't really care. But, I mean, yes, I mean, that was going to be my final point, actually. In fact, so long as Madge, Marge, and I think Gladys was in there, so long well, as Midge, they can... perhaps, we're talking... <laughs> and Midge, Sorry. whoever, so long as uh, these dear little old ladies can actually afford to keep warm and they don't die... Uh, midway through uh, uh, watching Pointless on TV, uh, you know, so long as they've got enough to keep warm, do we really care if prices go up to extraordinary levels? Because it forces the rest of us to change our behaviour, which we know we've got to do anyway. Yeah, and the, the, the people who know that don't work in oil companies. Yeah, well, we'll leave it on that point, that's for sure. Okay, very good. Okay. Thanks, Steve. Welcome. Uh, next time, another question of our times. Stagflation. Is it round the corner? How do we fix it? Uh, we'll look at the answers to that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.